0: Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. Welcome, everybody, watching online and at our live sites in the Montrose Building. Thanks for joining us as well. Happy Thanksgiving week, or what I like to call Ohio State Annihilated Michigan week. Amen? That's right. Praise the Lord. God's power is once again displayed in His blessings of all things. So um, it's my favorite week of the year. Uh, uh, We're excited to be together and excited to kind of launch into the Christmas season. And we're gonna use this idea of moments of wonder. And uh, we're gonna play with this idea a little bit. So moments of wonder, think of it as two sides of a coin. Uh, there are moments of wonder in Christmas when we stop and look and say, isn't God amazing? Look at what He did, right? He's Emmanuel, He's with us, the Christ child, the miracle, of the virgin birth a salvation that has come to us, Jesus with skin on good news, great joy for all the people uh, unto us. Say, David, a child is born, and we would wonder at that. We would worship Christ, and we would celebrate that moment and be taken aback by the goodness of God. That's one side of that coin. You can flip that coin also, and we can find moments of wonder, wondering about god what are you doing why are you doing it how is this supposed to work out Uh, later on the bible says all things work together for the good of those who love god Mm, i'd love to see the math on this one because this pain and this frustration and this moment i can't see the positive outcome in it right and so moments of wonder and moments of wonder And the real question becomes this, how does that happen when I take a moment of wonder and say, God, what, why, how, why would you do this to me or allow it? How do I transition that to a moment of wonder? God, you're good and you're loving and you're faithful and I want to trust and follow you. And what often happens is this, his moments of wonder are often birthed in moments of wonder. Where we look and say, this is happening, and without God, and without His goodness, without His power, this never moves from a crisis to an act of worship. It will just kind of stay in this place unless God intervenes somehow. And what's fascinating is when you look at Christmas, like the narrative, Joseph, Mary, think of your nativity set. Those are real people living a real life life going through real circumstances and these things are happening around them for real and in that human experience they are in moments of wonder like what in the world is happening to my life and yet they transition to moments of wonder where they are bowing their knee to their own son and to their own savior and worshiping and praising God for his goodness and what he has done. How does that happen and how does that play out in our lives? When I was thinking about uh, this this week and kind of thinking about these, these people that are in the nativity set, the first person that came to my mind was Joseph, Jesus's earthly father. And the moment of wonder that he would have found himself in surrounding the Christmas story. If you grab your Bibles, you go to Matthew chapter 1, and we can be introduced to Joseph here. It's page 783 in those Bibles in the chairs. And Then all this is on the app, if you just want to use that. <clears throat> but verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 Uh, This is the account. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. That's a really big statement right there. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, but after he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God <clears throat> with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We don't know a ton about Joseph. We meet him here. We see him a little bit later when Herod is committing infanticide, trying to kill Jesus. So uh, Joseph takes Jesus and Mary and flees up to Egypt to get away from all of that. We see him a few years later when Jesus is in the temple, and Joseph and Mary are out looking for him, and then we don't see Joseph again. So most scholars believe that he would have died younger, probably, certainly before Jesus turned 30, which is when Jesus kind of went public, and before that. So Jesus probably grew up kind of the man of the house because Joseph had passed away. So we don't know a ton about him, but what we do know about him is actually very striking. When the Bible describes Joseph, it describes him as a man who was faithful to the law. That's a very, very big statement. What that would have meant in Joseph's life is that he was a devoted, ancient Jewish person that he grew up going to the synagogue. He grew up learning the the Torah, the first few books of the Old Testament. He would have grown up kind of knowing the Old Testament, script, what we would call the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures. He would have been practicing those things and working on those things and applying all those things to his life and living that out. He was faithful to the law. Because he's faithful to the law, he would have approached his relationship with Mary in a certain way. He would have done that in accordance with the law. So that means their engagement, or what the old English calls their betrothal, would have played out a certain way. He would have come to Mary's father. The parents would have met. They would have thought that Mary and Joseph were a good match. He would have asked for their, her hand. They would have made a legal arrangement. And after the engagement was kind of cemented, Mary would have gone home with her parents and Joseph would have gone back to Nazareth. And he would have then begin to start building their house that they were going to live in. So during this engagement period... He's building the house. They're remaining sexually absent from each other. So there's no sexual interaction there. They're not even physically close to each other. He's building the house, getting it ready, building it by hand, getting ready to make a life for them. And in that time of engagement, when he's not even around her, but he's looking forward to their marriage, he's preparing for their marriage, he's dreaming about their marriage, she gets pregnant, right? She gets pregnant. Now Joseph's faithful to the law. So Joseph didn't get her pregnant because the law would say you're not allowed to have sexual interaction before you're married. So he didn't get her pregnant. He knows he didn't get her pregnant. He's faithful to the law. So that fact that she is unmarried and pregnant makes her unacceptable for a person faithful to the law to marry, right? So he decides to put her away or divorce her quietly, which gives us another insight about Joseph. I believe very strongly that Joseph actually loved Mary because he's faithful to the law. He could have enacted the law, and if he enacted the law, he could have destroyed her life if he wanted to. He could have shamed her. He could have had her publicly scorned. He could have sued her father. You know, I got all this money wrapped up in this house, and we had a deal. He could have done all of that, but he had decided in his mind to divorce her quietly, which I believe is a reflection of his affection and love for Mary. But I can't marry her because I'm faithful to the law. So I can't have this tainted bride. I can't do that because I'm faithful to the law. But I'm not going to enact all of my options before the law and destroy her life. God intervenes, says, Joseph, I want you to marry her. He does. He does. He does not consummate their marriage until after Jesus is born, which is actually Joseph being faithful to the law. As Parts of the Old Testament Jewish law said, not only is it a sin to have sex before you're married, but it's also an act of impurity to have sex while your wife is pregnant. So none of that happened all the way through. That's Joseph being faithful to the law. See, all the way through. So here's this guy that has done it all right, he is known for it. We don't know a lot about Joseph, but we know this, right? We know that he's faithful to the law. So his character, his integrity, his life operating system, his lens of life would have been what we, we would say it this way. What does God say in his word and how do I implement that into my life? That's the way Joseph would have thought, but with, a, with an Old Testament perspective. He would have known the Old Testament, the Bible. He would have implemented the Bible and his character and his integrity and his reputation would have gone before him. He was faithful to the law and now she's pregnant. And it's my fiance. And nobody's gonna believe that it was the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, yeah, The Holy Spirit got her pregnant. Oh, yeah, I had a vision. That's not going to sell. So not only are his dreams crushed, his plan crushed, his reputation, his character, his integrity that he had spent a life building is crushed. And Nazareth is this little, little town Everybody knows that Joseph's fiance is pregnant. His whole family, he's looking at his father-in-law. I don't, I don't know, it was the Holy Spirit. Nobody's going to buy that. And all of the weight of that is kind of dumped on Joseph, right? That he's going to be looked at as guilty, he's going to be looked at as scorned, and he is going to enter into a moment of wonder, What did I do? God, I'm faithful to the law. I kept the rules. I did the whole thing right. I went to Sunday school. I actually listened. I actually did what the teacher said. I did everything right. In fact, from an Old Testament mindset, I would have looked, God, and you promised, you promised that if we kept the law, you would bless us for it. I don't feel blessed. My life just got flushed. And I'm being falsely accused, and I can't get away from it. And you want me to marry her? By marrying her, I'm basically cementing in everybody's mind that that kid's mine. And I can't even name him after me. See, it's almost impossible as Westerners to get our head around this, but for an ancient Jewish man to not be able to choose the name and name his son after him, especially his firstborn son, to have to name him something other than Joseph, basically clinched it that that's not my kid. He doesn't get the family name. And this is Joseph's life now. And he's going to be thrust into this moment of wonder. Why, God? What in the world, God? How, in the, how are you ever going to work this through? But it's fascinating. As Joseph moves from that point, and then when we read kind of the rest of his interaction with Jesus and Mary and the parts that we know, somehow in Joseph's heart, that coin flipped. He went from a moment of wonder to a moment of wonder. He went from a moment of how, why, what, what are you doing to worshiping his own son, to giving praise and glory to God along with the shepherds. How does that happen? And what would we do? And when we're in those circumstances, because we're the same way, if you got any miles on you at all in life, you've had a moment of wonder. What God? Why God? How come God? Why me God? How do we turn that moment of wonder into a moment of wonder where we're praising God and glorifying God and yielding to him as he takes us on this journey? I was thinking about this. I wanted to take us to a passage of Scripture. And so I want you to flip back to the left in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. The reason that I chose this passage of Scripture is because there's a high probability that Joseph would have known this passage of Scripture. It's old enough that he would have been around and he would have been taught this in Sunday school. So I was thinking to myself, if Joseph is faithful to the law, that he probably would have done what many of us would have done. In a moment of wonder, he might have gone to God's word or to the Bible and tried to understand and get his head around God's heart and God's mind. And this could have been, might have been a passage that he was willing and able to do that with. And so we're gonna find this path. How do I flip that coin and how do I make that move in my own life? How do I turn a moment of wonder wonder into a moment of wonder. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and the following. This is page 512 in those Bibles in the chairs. Verse 1, Chapter 3 My son, my child, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. I think here in Proverbs chapter three, we can find a path that will help us flip that coin from a moment of wonder to a moment of wonder. Verse one, chapter three, God says, my son, you could just put in there, my daughter, my child, Do not forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart. What does God mean by that? Do not forget my teaching. What teaching? What teaching would God want us to remember in a moment of wonder? Don't forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart. The teaching God is talking about here is not the instructions that come into the nuances of the Bible. Listen, do not kill. Do not have a fault. Don't forget that you're not supposed to have sex before you're married. Don't forget that if she's pregnant, ancient Jewish law, by the way, that law is not in effect anymore. You're not allowed to have sex with her while she's pregnant. You're not, here's this rule and this rule and this rule. When God is looking at us in a moment of wonder, he's not saying, remember the rules and follow them. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't forget my teachings. Teachings about what? About who? About me? Remember what I am like. Remember my heart and my mind, my child, In moments of wonder, remember that I love you. Remember that I will not leave you. I won't forsake you. Remember, I am loving and merciful and good. Re- remember that I am faithful to you. Remember that you and I have a relationship with each other. Remember who I am and keep my commandments in your heart. I want you to catch this, it's this important. God doesn't say, keep my commandments in your head. Keep them in your heart. Don't forget my teachings and keep my commandments in your heart, not in your head. This is what happens. When I'm in a moment of wonder and I keep God's commandments in my head instead of my heart, I will retain and remember information instead of clinging to a relationship with a God who loves me and who I love. And when I retain an information in moments of wonder, what happens oftentimes is that information becomes an accusation against the person who hurt me, myself, or God. Mary, you got yourself pregnant, and God said, don't do that. That's God's command. Joseph The Bible says don't marry somebody who's impure and she's impure. That's God's command. God, you said, I remember this one verse, you said that if I did this, you would bless me in this way, and you didn't do that. When the commands are in my head and not in my heart, they often become accusations against the person who hurt me, myself, or the God who loves me. The father is looking and saying, my child, don't forget who I am, what I've taught you. You know these stories, Joseph. You know about Daniel being falsely accused and thrown into a den of lions and how I miraculously stopped him from being killed. You know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel, remember that story? They wouldn't bow to a false idol, and I supernaturally protected them when they were in a fiery furnace. You know about David and Goliath when little David went out to fight Goliath because he was the only one who trusted in me and he struck him dead. You know those stories. You know my teachings. You know the heart behind my teachings. Keep them in your heart. It's not that you're David or you're Daniel or you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Joseph, you're Joseph. But I am the same God that loved them and was with them. Trust me. Rely on me. Remember those things in times of wonder. I remember years ago when my daughter was little. She's so cute. She's still so cute. And she was this little girl. And we were at this lake. And uh, at this lake, we were—I was at this speaking at this camp, and so we were just like swimming during our free time. And there was this slide, like on the dock of this lake, and you slide down into the water. And she's just little, maybe three or four, just cutie little pigtails. And so she was, she was there. And I said, "Honey, I said, why don't you go down the slide? It'll be fun." And so I kind of talked her into it, and she climbed the slide. You know, when you're three or four, that slide looks gargantuan. And so she's at the top of the slide, and she's afraid to come down. So what I did in that moment of wonder is I comforted her with facts and statistics. And I said, honey, this slide is rated for 250 pounds. You weigh like seven. You're going to be fine. Honey, the statistical, you know, the probable statistics of you being hurt on the slide are next to nil. Honey, if you fall and I don't catch you and I miss you, I can revive you. I've been trained. And see, you're fine. So I comforted her with facts in her head, right? I looked at her and I went to her heart. Sweetie, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. Honey, would daddy let anything happen to you? Sweetheart, trust your daddy. Trust your daddy. Right? And so she did. She mustered her little courage, and she slid down that slide. And I missed her, but I pulled her right out of the water. And (laughs) counseling has been so helpful. But, right? But... This is what this is. Trust your daddy. But you you know me. You know what I'm like? This is not about your head. This is about your heart. Our posture in moments of wonder is really important. Our posture in moments of wonder is really important. Because the temptation in moments of wonder is is going to be to raise our hand to God. You said, and they didn't, and how could you, and why me? Our posture in moments of wonder is really important because the posture of someone who will trust and love and remember is the bended knee and the open arms. Trust your daddy, I love you. I'm not gonna leave you or forsake you. I'm not, I'm not being cruel. I'm not out to get you. Trust me, remember. Remember my teachings. Put those commandments in your heart and you and I will we'll go through this together. Joseph, when he was flipping this coin, had to lean into that somehow because this ugh, it's a big one. his life got blown up big one and they have to trust god in those moments right remembering who he was what he learned about his heart and his mind and then trusting those in that relationship with god proverbs goes on verse three let love and faithfulness never leave you bind them on your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart, this idea of binding them on your neck is a is an old ancient Jewish illusion, so uh, Orthodox Jewish people, especially ancient ones, sometimes they still do this actually. They'll take scripture and they'll bind it. They'll roll it up. And sometimes you'll see like an Orthodox Jewish person will have like a box on their head or they'll have like a wrapping on their arm and it's of scripture. They'll they'll write those things on their head. They'll write them on their arm. The same idea was this, that you would bind it around your neck. You would take scripture or you would take truth about God and, and you would bind it around your neck. You would keep it with you and in front of you all the time. And so this is what Proverbs is alluding to, bind it on your neck and then write them on the tablet of your heart. That's like the 10 commandments. Think of it being written in stone, memorialized, unable to shift or, or wash away. It's not just kind of like attached to my life a little bit. It's drilled in and bound to my heart. And so the writer says, here's the thing, let love and faithfulness never leave you bind love and faithfulness around your neck and write love and faithfulness on the tablet of your heart. Why would that be necessary in moments of wonder? This is what happens in moments of wonder. 99% of the time in moments where I'm wondering what God is doing and how and why and how could you, those moments are filled with pain. And pain is all-consuming and it's isolating. When I'm in pain, all I think about is being in pain. It it fills the view of my life. And I want out of pain, and I want pain to be over. And all I think about is pain all the time. And I ruminate on pain, and I meditate on pain, and I strategize about pain. And I regret the process that led me to pain. And I wish the process that would get me out of pain would happen. And pain just consumes my view. And when pain consumes my view, it blocks my view of God's love and God's faithfulness. I'm not thinking in those moments about how loving God is or how faithful God is. I'm wondering in those moments why I'm in this pain and why this won't go away. The writer of Proverbs comes in and says, listen, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Well, how do I get it to not leave me? Well, you bind it around your neck and you write it on the tablet of your heart. When I'm in pain, what God is saying is, I have to force in or bring in, because pain is gonna be the natural thing that fills my view, I have to force in or bring in love and faithfulness. I have to remember the love and faithfulness of God. I have to cling to the love and the faithfulness of God. And when I import love and faithfulness, when I remind myself or allow others to help remind me that God is loving and God is faithful, it doesn't erase my pain. Pain is kind of a fact of life. It doesn't erase my pain. What it does is it puts my pain in perspective. It goes from right in front of me, just filling my view, and it pushes us out so that my pain is in the context of God's love and faithfulness. The day before... Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, God was loving and faithful that day. God doesn't change, he's unchanging. So because Mary was pregnant doesn't mean that God ceased to be loving and faithful, it just meant that that pain filled his view. So Joseph has to recount and remember. And he knew how to do this. He would go, we would call it church. He would go to the synagogue. He would go to church, and he would sing songs of worship. This is part of why we sing when we're in services together. It reminds us of God's love and faithfulness. When you think about love's God, God's love and faithfulness, you don't generally quote verses. You generally sing songs. They remind us. They import it. They cause pain to get in us right perspective. This is why we used to call this, and this is old-timing, where we used to call given testimonies. We used to have testimony night, way back in the days, the old-timers did. And what they would do at testimony night is you would stand up and you would testify about what God did in your life. Hey, anybody got a praise testimony, they used to say? And you stand up and say, yeah, you know, I was having a terrible week, and, and, and God caused this to happen, I just want to give Him praise for it. Yeah, we were going through this hard thing and God did this, I want to give him praise for it. Hey, you know, we went to the doctor and the cancer is still there, but the nurse was so kind and loving. We want to give God praise for just bringing a kind person into our life. The old timers used to sing a song and it went like this, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. What were they doing? They were never letting love and faithfulness leave them. They were bringing that in to that view so they could remember what God had done, that God is loving, God is faithful, even in these moments of wonder. And Joseph would have done that. He would have understood to do that. He would have known that he needed to do that. He would have known that it just happened naturally. And through the word of God through other believers is how we would say it today, through worship, pain takes its right place. And in the midst of pain, I can see the goodness and the love and the faithfulness of God. And the coin starts to flip. See, I start to move from a moment of wonder to a moment of wonder that God is with me. He is faithful. He has not forgotten me. Right? Then you go to verses 5 and 6. Same chapter, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. In moments of wonder, I am to trust in the Lord with all my heart, and lead not on my own understanding. In all my ways submit to him, and he will make my path straight. I don't know about you, but for me and for some of us, especially if you grew up in church, this probably happened to you more. If you didn't grow up in church, in some ways you're always at an advantage because you don't have church baggage. But when you grew up in church, you get to have church baggage. When I was in moments of wonder or somebody was in a moment of wonder when I grew up in my church, this was an accusation, not a blessing. I'm in pain... I, my life is blown up. I'm off kilter and somebody would look at you and say, well, you should trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, dummy. That's kind of the way that sounded. And people would accuse you with it. Well, you're not trusting the Lord. My, my, our kids are struggling and they're involved in so much. Well, you need to trust the Lord. Probably you, didn't, you probably didn't trust the Lord enough. That's why your kids are having a hard time. Yeah, we're really having a rough time in our marriage. Well, you should trust the Lord. You're probably one of those non-trusters, never-trusters. You, you, you should be one of those people. That's your problem. That's why your marriage is in such a rough shape. And it was an accusation. And people would come, if they did that to me, they'd be like, well, your problem is you don't trust the Lord. I'm like, why don't you come a little closer so I can hit you in the face? That, that's what I want to do, right? Because it was an act, There's something wrong with you that you're not trusting in the Lord. And your faith must be shallow because you're obviously leaning into your own understanding. Now listen, I think this is important. Ready? There's a reason why this is verse 5 and 6. And there's a reason why verses 1 through 4 are before it. Did you catch that? There's a reason why this is in the order that it's in. There's a reason why verses one through four come before verses five and six. Why would God order it that way? Verse one, my son, don't forget my teachings. Keep my commands in your heart. Trust your daddy. We love each other. You know me. We've been through a lot of life with each other. You understand my heart. I'm not out to get you. I'm not out to accuse you. I love you. Trust your daddy. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them on your heart. Write them on tablets of your, of your, bind them around your neck. Write them on tablets of your heart. Remember, I was faithful the day before life blew up. I don't change. I'm still faithful. Your view is being blocked. There's a reason verse one and four comes before verse five and six, because it's a logical progression that gets us to a point of trust. Bow your knee, open your arms, but I love you. Hey, listen, kid, I love you. I haven't stopped loving you. Remember my love and my faithfulness? Yeah. Trust your dad? Okay. All right. Trust me. Choose to trust me. Trust is faith. Here's my definition of faith. Here it is. Ready? Faith is choosing to believe in what I cannot and will never fully understand. That's a great tattoo. Somebody should get it. Faith is choosing to believe in what I cannot and will never fully understand. Buddy, do you trust that I love you? Yeah. You, you know about me, right? Yep. Okay. Okay. Let's recall that. Let's recall the whole story of God, not just the moment of wonder. Let's recall the whole thing, not just the moment of wonder. Okay. All right. Trust me. Choose to have faith. Don't lean on your own understanding. Joseph's understanding hit a ceiling. Right? Right? He, how in the world is he ever going to answer why his life just blew up and she got pregnant from the Holy Spirit? See, his, he's, at, he's at the end of his understanding. Guys, listen, in moments of wonder, God often does not give us answers. He always gives us choices. God often does not give us answers. He always gives us choices. In verse five is a choice. Trust me. Don't lean on your own understanding. You're at the end of it anyways. In all of your ways, submit to me. I'm doing something. I love you, I'm doing something. I'm doing something greater than you would ever think to ask or you could ever remotely imagine. All these things will work together for the good of those who love me. That doesn't mean that it all plays out on the planet the way that you want it to play out. That's not what that means. That means eternally, spiritually, in the kingdom of God, I'm doing something. And all your ways submit to me. I'll make your path straight. What I'm gonna do is gonna blow your mind. Now, you may not understand it fully until you're with me. Trust me but I haven't lost control. I'm still sovereign. I haven't quit loving you. I am love. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I haven't ceased to be faithful. I'm taking you down a path that you would have never asked to go down. But this light and momentary struggle is going to lay up for you a crown of glory which is greater than you could ever possibly imagine. Say. And when we start to embrace that, that coin starts to flip. And a moment of wonder becomes a moment of wonder, right? Now, this would be a great moment to have the band come out and for us to pray. But there's another verse. And I find it fascinating. There's a reason there's a verse one through four and then a five and six And then there's a reason, there's a verse seven. So what happens in verse seven is fascinating. It feels like God backtracks, right? Verse seven, don't be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil. Verse six wrapped it up so nice. We could have got out early this weekend. But there's a verse seven, right? Why would God throw in the verse seven, right? This is why, this is why, ready? Because the temptation, the natural temptation is always to lean into your own understanding. And this is what happens. In that natural temptation, ready? Listen this, this is huge. Everybody is gonna agree with you being wise in your own eyes. Everybody is. Everybody. When Joseph said in his mind, in his mind he decided to quiet, divorce her quietly. Everybody thought that was a great plan. In fact, everybody thought that was a gracious plan. In fact, everybody thought that you were actually being way too nice about this. I mean, she blamed the Holy Spirit. Everybody thought that. Everybody thought that, you you know what, Joseph? Okay, even if you're like gonna marry her and live with that, don't name it Jesus. Jesus. I mean, then then it's like cementing the fact it's not your kid. Everybody thinks that. I was talking to everybody, and they all think. So it works. Everybody thinks that your wisdom is the right path. And everybody, including yourself, will agree with your own wisdom. And you'll listen to people who affirm your wisdom and affirm your plan. And we all do that, me too. And God says, wait a minute, stop, fear the Lord and shun evil. When you are wise in your own eyes, the path is gonna be a path of evil, sin, away from God. Fear the Lord, trust me. My ways are higher than your ways. You're not gonna do the math on this. Believe in me, trust me, and don't give in, see, to your own wisdom and all the affirmation that you're gonna receive from those who agree with it. I wrote this in my notes. As Joseph chose to embrace a path of truth, as he chose to flip this coin from a moment of wonder to a moment of wonder, as he chose to embrace his path of truth, he was not embracing a path of ease and comfort. This is big. There's no Disney ending to Joseph's story. A little bit later, he has to flee from Herod to protect his child and his wife. After that, Jesus is in the temple. He's like, son, come home. He's like, you're not my dad. My dad's in heaven. Ouch. You don't get those t-shirts for Father's Day, right? (laughs) And then from everything that we know, he died before he got to see the full deity of his son. There's no Disney ending there's no prequel to this. There's no other hidden story where God showed up to Joseph ahead of time and said, listen, let, let's work on this a little bit. If you'll do this, this is what I'll do for you. Once a year, everybody will stop and talk about you. Like billions of people across the planet for thousands of years. And if you sign right now, we'll do the merchandising deal. So when, when they put the figure on the piano, you get a cut of that. So none of it. The path that Joseph chose to embrace was not a path of comfort or ease, but because he was willing to follow this path, something incredible happened. Ready? This is is what happened in Joseph's life. Ready? Joseph spent the rest of his life and will historically always be found in the shadow of his son. He spent the rest of his life and he will historically always be found in the shadow of a sun. We, we never talk about Joseph without talking about Jesus. Never. And he's a footnote there are no worship songs to Joseph. We, we don't celebrate good fathering on December 25th. Joseph is forever in the shadow of his son, this is why I like the guy. Because if you think about your moments of wonder and the outcome of your moments of wonder, the pain, the the path that God takes us on, Joseph's life winds up a lot like our life is supposed to be lived. Our life is to be lived in the shadow of Christ. And it's not us becoming famous or our story. It's always Christ's story and what he is accomplishing and what he wants to do and how we get to be a part of it. The biggest lie that you will ever be told about God is that God exists for you and that you are the focal point of his existence. And if you obey and you give money at church and you get your act together, then your hopes and your dreams and your ambitions will come true. And none of that played out in Joseph's life. He bore this. His hopes were crushed and they were never rebuilt. He bore this. Mary and he bore their whole lives this this suspicion that he got her pregnant, the Holy Spirit, give me a break. It never went away. He had to protect Jesus. He had to release Jesus. He found himself in the shadow of his own son. And that's the call of you and I. It's not that God exists for us, we exist for God. And the highest calling, the highest purpose, the highest reward that God could ever give us is to make our path straight. And that path will not be one more than likely that you or I would choose. But God will do something greater than you could ever ask or even imagine. Would Joseph have ever imagined this? On the upside, God gives him a big house and a solid marriage and sweet kids and maybe, let's call it 100 years on the planet and he's dead and he's done. But God looked at Joseph and said, I have something so much greater for you. You, see, you are gonna bring people to my son eternally. Your reward and you're just going to cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. Your reward is going to keep growing, heavenly reward, because the investment of your life is not going to cease. Joseph, I got something so much better for you, but you're going to have to go through a moment of wonder. It's not going to make sense. But somehow, Joseph did that. He allowed it. He participated with God, however you want to say it. And when his son was born that night, he bowed his knee to his Savior. And God did incredible things through this simple guy, carpenter, from the middle of nowhere. Guys, all of us go through this, right? Seriously, if you got any miles on you, we all look at God and say, but I thought. How come? I mean, what did I do? I tried so hard. I was faithful to the law. All of us go through it. And Joseph... That's one of the big lessons of his life. He went through it. When he woke up from the dream, he went and did what the angel told him to do. He didn't understand it. He just did it. See? And from everything that we can tell, he was a loving husband. He was a committed father. Joseph Mary had more kids. Like the apostle James was Jesus' half-brother. That was Joseph's son. They had more kids. Right? Everything that we know. And when we embrace this stuff, right? When we remember, when we bow the knee, when we bring in love and faithfulness, when we allow ourselves to be lost in the shadow of Christ, those coins flip. And these moments of pain become moments of celebration. This moment of confusion becomes this moment of worship. This moment of of a temptation to despair becomes this moment of dependency and faithfulness in Christ. All right. Bandles come in and settle in. And and I think, let's just take a couple minutes, right? And just be still. Because we're coming in with this stuff at one level or another, always. This is the way life is. And what if we take a little bit of time and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us, walk us through flipping this coin, right? And to guide us through it. So maybe, what if we bow our heads and close our eyes for a minute, just kind of be still and be individually with God and, uh, and spend some time with him. Jesus, help us with this. Me too. <laughs> Holy Spirit, would you guide us God, in our moments of wonder, would you comfort us? Would you help us? Would you steer us? Maybe challenge us or convict us? And whatever you know we need, would you do that? And would you help us to receive it and to embrace it and to to come out worshiping you and yielding to you and giving you the glory that's yours alone? So in these still moments, Would you press in in these deep ways and align our hearts and our minds with yours?